It was a night like any other night, except for that angel. Ain't seen nothing like it before or since. Us shepherds, we don't get a lot of excitement out there on the pasture. But that angel, it was so bright, so beautiful. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Sam, you've been out in that pasture just a little bit too long. And you'd be correct. But that all changed when that angel came right up to us. And the angel said, don't be afraid. And I was like, too late. And then the angel said, no, I wrote it down. I need to get this right. Hold on. Um, okay. The angel said, um, milk, bread, no, that's my grocery list. Then the angel said, I have good news of a great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then the angel said, He's lying in a manger, wrapped in cloth. Go find him. Okie dokie. So we're all sitting around, and then one of the shepherds, I think it was Steve, he's like, hey, what are we doing? Let's get out of here. Let's go to Bethlehem. So we hightailed it out of there, and we found that beautiful baby. I'll tell you, I was a different man after that. God chose me. Nobody's ever chosen me for anything. I'll never forget what that angel said, though. The angel said, I bring good news to all people. That means you, too. Good news to all people. That's you too. So today we are continuing our series, uh, Fear Not. And we're looking at three different instances where an angel appeared to someone in the Christmas story. And what was the first thing? One of the first things that the angel says every time is what? Let's try that again. The angel says what? Fear Fear not. We looked at the angel when he appeared to Mary, to a virgin girl named Mary. And he said, fear not for you're going to have a child. How will this be? Well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. We, uh, last week we looked when the angel appeared to Joseph and he said, fear not to take this woman as your wife for the child in her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to look at when the angel appeared uh, to the shepherds. Now, the question for today, I've been asking a question each week in, in, uh, in conjunction with this whole idea of fear not. And the question for this week is, where do I, where do you stand before God? Now, if you've never wrestled with this fear before, you will someday. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So according to Jesus, the founder of Christianity, there's not many ways to heaven. I don't care what Oprah says, there's not many ways to heaven. Jesus said there's one way, he is it. And if he is the only way, then then you're going to have to stand before God someday. And you're going to answer for whether you accepted Jesus Christ into your life or not. And Jesus has prepared us for this. He's told us how to be prepared. Now, when I was thinking about this, I went all the way back to when um, I grew up as a, in a church. I've been in my church, in a church my entire life. I remember my first memories are in the nursery. And then my church was a hellfire and brimstone church. It was one of those churches where they tried to scare the hell out of you. I'm not cussing at all. I mean, the place called hell, they tried to scare it out of you. 
And so the preacher was obsessed with thoughts of, of hell and he would preach about hell all the time. And I remember when I realized at six years old, six years old, I realized I was not good enough to get into heaven. And so partially out of fear of hell, but I also, I believe Jesus loved me. And so I think more out of, out of the love of Christ, I went forward one night and I asked Jesus to forgive my sins and lead my life. And that day I became a child of God. Now you need to understand Everyone is a creation of God. There are six billion creations of God on this planet, but there are not six billion children of God because to become a child of God requires a choice on your part of humbling yourself and saying, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. Uh, and, and I was thinking about all this stuff from, from my childhood. And, and I don't know if, if you, I'm, I'm sure you remember this prayer, but this prayer was popular when I was a kid. And if you think about it, this prayer will freak a kid out. All right. So as I recite this prayer out loud, I want you just, you know, just kind of, you can nod your head or you can raise your hand. When I get to the part that would be freaky for a child, you know, just to make sure we're all on the same page, I want you to kind of acknowledge that that would be the freaky part. You ready? Here it is. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake. All right, I gave you a little bit of help there. And then the next one, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Whatever that is, because the kid's thinking, I could die tonight, right? Jesus didn't teach this prayer. I don't know where this prayer came from. Can you understand how it might be freaky to a kid? Because they're going, I could die tonight, and, and, and if I do, I sure want to go to heaven. So God, can you, can you, you know, let me in. Sweet dreams, sweetie. Don't let the bag bugs bite. Right. We're praying about death. I'm dying and that death angel's coming down. It kind of freaks me out. And then you, then you add into the, the whole situation that my preacher was obsessed with hell. And that was not a real healthy environment for the kid to grow up in. I came to Christ in 1970. I was six years old. I'm 50. Some of you, some of you are doing the math and some of you just don't have a clue. Um, but in 1970, and, and there were all kinds of debates in 1970. There was the deb- women's right. I mean, women's lib came out. There was all kinds of marijuana, and I guess some things just never go away. You know, there's still lots of marijuana. There, was, uh, there were all these debates, but there was this one debate that was going on in denominations. And what brought it home to me was that my brother and his very good friend were of these two different denominations. So I remember in the church, I remember this whole discussion, and I remember my brother and his friend arguing. And I don't mean friendly arguing, almost coming to blows over this. You know, my brother's 20, I'm six. I'm going, this is dumb. But here was what it was. There was one group that said it was possible to lose your salvation. Now I grew up a Baptist church. If you know anything about Baptists, we believe one saved, always saved. So there was this huge argument. And, and so here's what, here's what we came up with in our church and in our family. This was, this was our spiritual response to this thing that you could, you could be walking with Christ, but then you could stray and you could lose your salvation. So my interpretation as a kid was basically that God kicked you out of the family of God. Because we always heard about in my church that you were adopted into the family of God, but then this other church was saying, well, you could be kicked out of the family of God. And I, so I was kind of confused. Well, here's what we came up with. Not we, but I, I was there. And so I'm just going to tell you what I heard in these discussions. So you're saying that if I'm driving down the road or you're driving down the road and some idiot pulls out in front of me and, and I hit them and right before I hit them, I say a cuss word, then I die and I don't have a chance to confess for my cuss word. You're saying that I'm going to hell. And we, we were pretty smug with that. 
That's what you're saying? And, and as God is my witness, there are people that believe that. That if you, if you were to curse right before, and, and I don't believe that. Now, as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, people in this church, if that's true, if you can lose your salvation right before you die when you're driving, maybe you better pray that you die in your sleep because I know some of you, right? <laughs> can I get an amen from the second row? <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> Now, now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to make light of a very, very serious subject. But what I am trying to say is that human beings have some jacked up ideas when it comes to who's in the kingdom of God and who's out of the kingdom of God. And, and what I try to do, and, and I, you know, I'm not going to say I do this all the time, but I try to always go back to scripture to figure out where the answers come from scripture. And so I want to show you another fear not story today, and we can get the answers to who's in and who's out of the kingdom of God. This comes from, if you have your Bibles or, uh, or your U version, you can look up Luke chapter two. Um, we're going to look at verses eight through 11. This comes from probably the most popular passage of scripture. We'll read it on, on Christmas Eve. Um, and we're going to look at four verses that can be a game changer when it comes to where you stand before God. And that's my prayer for today. So Luke chapter two, starting in verse eight, that night, the shepherds were staying in the field nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. And the King James Version, that's where we got the title says, fear not. But, but what does this one say? What does New Living Translation say? Don't be afraid. And here he tells you why. I bring you good news. Now, let me stop there. If you've, if you've ever heard the word gospel, we talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. We call those the gospels because inside there it contains the story of Jesus. And the good news is, the translation that he's talking about, good news here, is the story of Jesus. It actually means good news. So the angel says, I bring you gospel. I bring you good news that will be, bring great joy to all people. So what is the good news? Here it is. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in, the, in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now, back in Jesus' day, whenever a child was born, if the, if the family had any means whatsoever, any finances whatsoever, they would hire a herald, someone to herald or announce the birth of the child, especially if it was a firstborn son, because a firstborn son kind of uh, conveyed God's blessing on your life because the, the family name was going to be carried on. And so if you had any opportunity whatsoever, you would hire a herald to, to proclaim that your child has been born. Now, um, when, when Janie and I were in Arlington, we were at Lamar Baptist Church, and um, our first child was born, and, and here's how they heralded it. Can y'all read that? You probably can't. Lamar Baptist Church, Arlington, Texas, it says, Caleb Allen Washburn, seven pounds, four ounces, 127.95. That's the best we could do, because we were a youth minister, and we, we didn't have any money. And uh, that's how we heralded the birth of our first child. Now, the fact that there was a herald to announce the birth of Jesus, that's not surprising. What is surprising is to whom God sent the angel. Now, if the son of God, if the son of God is going to be born, if he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, wouldn't it make sense for God to send the, the herald to the kings, to the power brokers, to, the, to the, have, the ones who have everything in our society? Wouldn't that make sense? Because you'd want everybody to know about it. And some of you go, well, but he wasn't a political leader. Okay, for those of you theologians, he's a, he's a spiritual leader, not a political leader. Okay, then wouldn't it make sense to send the herald to the most influential religious leaders on the planet and let them disseminate all the information to their flocks? That's how I'd have done it. It's not how God did it. 
the biggest announcement in the history of the world God sent to some stanky shepherds. Now, I have to explain what stanky means. (laughs) Stink is, oh, that odor's unpleasant, right? Stank is, roll down the windows, I'm going to hurl, all right? Now, you're going to understand this better in a minute. So stanky shepherds, not stinky, stanky shepherds. And we're going to talk about that. And, you, and some of you are going to go, well, you know, I have shepherds in my little, my little nativity scenes and they look so quaint. It's because they're inanimate. Why would God send the angel to shepherds? And here's what you have to understand about God. God never does anything accidentally. God always has a purpose. And, and I'm going to tell you this purpose in just a minute. Now, let's, let's talk about shepherds. They were the most disrespected groups, one of the most disrespected groups in society. The job of a shepherd was so low that if a father uh, had to have this job in his family, he would usually give it to the youngest son, or if he had slaves, he would give the job of shepherd to the slave because slaves were low, they were uneducated, they had no hopes for a better career. And according to the religious system of that day, which was a man-made religious system, I'll give you that, shepherds were always rejected. The religious leaders taught that the shepherds weren't good enough for God, and they actually taught that they couldn't be made right with God um, because they couldn't live up to the religious standards of the day. And as a result, all of the shepherds felt distant from the spiritual um, halves, which means they probably felt distant from God. If the people inside the church are saying that you're distant, you can't come near to God. If they tell you over and over enough that you're not good enough to come to God, what do you begin to believe about yourself? You're not good enough. And so the, uh, the shepherds felt that they weren't good enough. And I'm going to talk about three reasons that the shepherds felt distant from God. Number one, they felt unworthy. They were outcasts in Israel and they were taught you're not good enough for God. Now, think about this. A shepherd's job took them on the road. Much like a truck driver might go on the road for 10 days, two weeks. Well, a shepherd's job took them on the road for weeks or even months. They had to go where the grass was. They had to go where the water was. And the reason that was a big deal is because they couldn't attend the temple. They couldn't go to services at the temple. So they were declared ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. Now, the thinking goes, they couldn't do all of their religious duties, and so they weren't clean enough to come into the temple before God. Now, I have two dogs. One is this little, this little midget dog that, that a friend of mine, one of my best friends, came home one day, and, or came to my house one day, and he looked out the back, and he said, dude, there's a rat running around your backyard. And I said, that's my dog. He goes, no, it's a rat with, it, that looks like a dog, trying to be a dog. And then I have this bigger dog. Now, the bigger dog's about 50 to 60 pounds. He's black and he's got long hair. Sweet, sweet dog, but, but he thinks he's a lap dog. And so if you go out in the backyard for any amount of time, if you sit down, he'll come up at first, he'll put his head in your lap, you know, and just, but that's not enough. And then he'll lean over, then he'll actually get up on the swing with you and he'll sit next to you. Then he'll put two paws in your front lap and eventually he gets all four paws in your front lap. And then he lays over against you and then he turns his head up and looks at you. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. But the problem is after a few minutes with my dog, what do I smell like? A dog. And if I'm going anywhere, if I'm working in the yard, I don't care. I'll play with them, just have a good time, play with them. If I'm going anywhere, I have to change because y'all would be going, dude, you smell like a dog, right? Now, imagine the stank of the shepherds. If I can smell like my dog after 30 minutes hanging out with my dog, what if seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 
you're hanging out with sheep and, and sheep are dumb. They're not like dogs. They don't come when you call them necessarily. You may have to go find them. You may have to carry them. You're going to rub up against those sheep. There were no loves truck stops back in the day. I'm not sure you should shower in one of those anyway, but um, that's ooh, and the shepherds were ooh. Now, what's worse than the shepherds' physical condition is that all the religious leaders said that they were spiritually worse off than they were physically. A religious person wouldn't touch a shepherd because if you touch something that's ceremonially unclean, then you become unclean. And so they would, they would walk away from shepherds. They wouldn't look at them, wouldn't touch them. They didn't want to get close enough that they could even smell them. Now, how would that make you feel when I was a kid? Mom and sis and I used to be in the car. Mom would be driving, sis would be in sh- riding shotgun, and this was before we had all these, these seatbelt laws, and so kids would be standing up. Y'all remember this? I would stand in the front seat when sis wasn't there, and if they hit the brakes, they'd just be sticking their arm over there to keep me from flying through the windshield, you know. But sis was in the front seat, and because I couldn't stand not to know what was going on in the front seat, I'd be hanging over the, the middle console talking, what y'all talking about, what y'all talking about? And sis, you know, I was six, so sis, seven years older than me, she's 13, all the way up through 18. I remember this. She said this all the time, but especially when we're in the car, because I guess we you know, in closed space. She'd go, get away from me. You smell like a wet dog. <laughs> and I wasn't exactly sure, because, you know, as a boy, we don't know. I just knew she didn't mean it as a compliment. So I'd go, Mom, sis says I smell like a wet dog. Is that true? And Mom would go, no, (laughs) you do not smell like a wet dog. And so I'd go, see, I don't smell like a wet dog. I know now Mom was probably lying, but at the time, because she was a higher authority than my sister, I felt good because somebody higher than my sister was accepting me. Well, I don't know if you've ever felt unworthy but I know this happens a lot with churches. People feel unworthy to come into the church because they're thinking, I know the good things I should do and I don't do them. I know the bad things I shouldn't do and I do them. And people are thinking, if those folks inside that church knew about my past, they would throw me out. They would shun me. I would be unworthy to be around them. And, uh, and, and if religious people reject you, what, what do you think about the God of those religious people? You probably think either he's going to reject you or you're just not even going to take a chance because you can't stand being rejected again. It happens all the time at, at Christmas. If we could peek through the windows of some of our church members and not get arrested, I'm not talking about the freaky, you know, peeping tong type, type thing. What I mean is, you know, in all those movies when the, when the camera comes in and you can look in the window and you can see the happy family in there. If you could see some of our church families, you would be thinking, man, they've got it all together. They're so holy. They're so Christmassy. They're so right with God. And you would be thinking, man, their life is easy because today on the way to church, I almost killed my child. If my arm had been longer, I'd have taken him out. You know how it is? You're just trying to hit something because shut up back there, you know, and, and uh, you're like, there's a line. Don't you cross it. Don't look at your brother. Don't you touch your brother. Don't you breathe at your brother. Janie used to have a plastic spoon and she would, she'd be driving. She'd just be swinging, trying to hit. And Caleb was always on the back seat. So her, her plastic spoon had to be long enough so she could get him on the back seat. Cause he was usually the instigator. Yeah. You're not a parent if you hadn't swung in the back seat, just hoping to hit a kid. All right. And you're like, shut up, brush your hair. We're going to church to worship God. Merry freaking Christmas. And this is what happens. At some point, 
Sometimes it's as soon as you come on the property. Sometimes it's when you walk in the door. Sometimes it's when we come in here and we start singing songs to God. At some point, the enemy comes up and whispers to you, you're a failure as a parent. And you believe it, right? Anyone? You go, oh, I totally messed that up. And you're thinking, I've scarred my kid for life. (laughs) And we probably have. (laughs) I pray all the time, Lord, please protect my kids from my idiocy. The shepherds felt unworthy to even come into the presence of God. And the religious leaders told them, you're unworthy to come into the presence of God. And who did the angel show up to? The ones that everybody said you're unworthy. That's a message for you today if you feel unworthy. The birth of the Savior is for you. Well, I, I think it went beyond that. The second one is they felt inadequate. My dad did not complete the sixth grade. Uh, dad, when he was in sixth grade, it was in the midst of the uh, Great Depression. And dad had to drop out of school to help on the family farm. And he and his dad would travel around. It's a long story, but it's actually how he met my mom, working for other farmers around. And so as a result of never completing the sixth grade, my dad felt like he was inadequate. He felt like he wasn't very smart. And and let me tell you, my dad was one of the smartest men I've ever known. He could fix anything, literally anything, anything mechanical. He could build stuff. He built the house that we lived in. Uh, he fixed cars, he, he, but he did not think he was smart. And so he wouldn't argue with people because he didn't think he was smart enough. And he was adamant that all of his kids get an education. So all three sons, we graduated from college and he was there when we graduated. And all three sons uh, have master's degrees from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And dad was proud, but dad never thought he was as smart as we were because he felt inadequate because of the education thing. And I was thinking about that because the shepherds, not only were they uneducated, they had no hope of an education. And, and so they never felt like they measured up in society. They would look around, they'd think, oh, those people are better than me. Because what happens to you whenever you look around at other people? I mean, we may look at a few people and go, I'm better than them, but we don't look at them very long. We find somebody else and we go, oh, I'm not as good as them. Because there's always somebody bigger, stronger, faster, smarter, whatever. I remember going to college. I was number three in my graduating class, three out of 200. And I missed being salutatorian by two one hundredths of a point. And, and you know, that was bitter. I'm not anymore. But um, I was back then. And I remember going to college thinking, you know, number three out of, out of 200. I went to Baylor. There were 2,500 incoming freshmen. When I got there, everybody was a stinking valedictorian or salutatorian, top 10, big deal played intramural sports. You know, I made, I made varsity baseball and, and football when I was in a, a sophomore in high school. And I thought I was studly get down there and everybody's bigger and faster. And then I remember one time walking out on the football field. Um, I was in a group and we got to perform at halftime and I saw those guys and I goes, these are freaks of nature. They would eat me for lunch, break me in half. And I'm like, thank you, God. I didn't try to play football. They would actually one of my friends, a good friend here in town, he was a walk-on at Baylor. And he said that was the worst job ever because you're on the scout team and they just murder you. And you don't even get a scholarship for it. You don't get paid for it. I don't understand that at all. There's always somebody when you look around, you're going to feel inadequate compared to them. And and ladies, I've heard some of you say stuff like this. You go to a friend's house and her house is perfect. 
It's got some scent in, and it's not wet dog. Smells like candles. The floor is clean. The kids, they have bows in their hair. The girls do and their teeth are brushed and they look so good. And you're thinking, man, my house, I hadn't seen my floor in a decade. I don't even know what kind of floors I have. Brushing my kids' hair, we just pull it in a ponytail. I hadn't seen a brush at my house. Have you ever, let let me ask you this, have you ever not put up Christmas lights? Let me see your hands if you've ever not put up Christmas lights. And you're okay when your kids are littering, you're you're okay if nobody else in the neighborhood puts up Christmas lights, but you got some stupid neighbor that pulls, that goes old Clark Griswold on you and he puts up lights and you're driving and your kids, not that this has ever happened to me, that your kids are like, daddy, what's wrong with us? How come we don't have Christmas lights? And you're like, well, we're saving money to feed hungry children in Uganda this year because we love Jesus and we're more spiritual than they are. <laughs> and you just lie because the truth is because I didn't feel like putting up Christmas lights and I suck as a dad. Okay, you want to know the truth? Anybody else ever had Christmas light envy? All right, okay. Can I tell you what's worse than Christmas light comparison? It's comparing your spiritual life with somebody else's spiritual life. One of the big rules back in that day was to honor the Sabbath day. And by big rule, I mean this was one of God's top ten. This was number four of the ten commandments. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And and you, you were supposed to have this day of rest where you didn't work, where you rested physically, and you worshiped God. And the shepherds couldn't do it. Number four on God's list, they couldn't do it because 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the sheep needed care. They needed to be protected. And so they felt like spiritual failures. And, uh, and I know that, I know some of you look at other people and you think they are so close to God. They have a, they have a verse for everything. They quote the books of Zephaniah and Nahum and I didn't even know those were books in the Bible. How do they do that stuff? And their prayers, they're so holy. And you think, the last time I prayed was, dear God, help me not kill that person that just took my parking place at Walmart, right? And you're going, man, I I suck spiritually. And that's that's how the shepherds felt. But who did the angel appear to to announce the good news that a savior was born? The people who were unworthy. The people who were inadequate. And then really, if we're going to be honest, this third one is probably the one that, that, that is the most damaging to us is they felt unloved. Shepherds were so far down the rung that they couldn't testify in a court of law because they were considered unreliable witnesses. And if you were a dad, you did not want your daughter to marry somebody because they had no, no hope for advancement in their society. And so you don't want to give your blessing to your daughter for her to marry uh, a shepherd. Isn't that kind of strange that David, the greatest king of the Old Testament, what, what did he start out as? What is Jesus called? The good shepherd. And the angel showed up to shepherds. That, that means, that means he, he shows up for me as well. There's some of you here, if we're going to get real right now, your, da- your dad left when you were little. And you've always wondered, what did I do wrong? How, how, come, how come daddy didn't love me? What, what could I have done differently? And you feel totally unloved. Some of you, if we're going to be honest, um, some of you are going to spend Christmas alone this year because your spouse chose somebody else. Or they said, I don't love you anymore. And you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, what did I do wrong? I did the best I could. How come I'm not loved? 
Some of you, you look in the mirror and you don't like the person looking back at you and you say, if I don't like me, how could God like me? Can I tell you a secret? There's nobody in this room that has it all together. Not a single one of us. If you think that somebody in here is more successful than you, you just don't know their problems. If you knew the whole story, you would go, thank God for my problems because they are jacked up. We got, we got some messed up folks here. And uh, you wouldn't trade your problems for their problems for all the gold in the world. You have no idea the pain of people sitting near you. There may be a single mom here who's, who's ready to cash it in, and the only reason she hasn't is because her kids, and she just she says, I, I got I to gotta stay here for these kids. There, uh, there may be a guy who's, who's doing the best he can to worship God, but he is struggling financially, and he's thinking in his mind, my kids are going to go back to school in a couple of weeks, and people are going to ask my kids, what did you get for Christmas? And they're going to want to lie because I didn't give them anything because I wanted to give them, but I don't have any money, and I feel like a failure. There's someone sitting maybe right behind you who's single and all their friends are married and they're going, what about me? I'm trying to be a Christian. Why won't anybody love me? There may be someone sitting near you that that looks successful, but they have money, they've got outward trappings, but inside they are messed up and they don't even feel like they have a friend that they can tell their deepest, darkest secrets to. We got people here who feel unworthy, inadequate, and unloved. And I'm going to tell you that religion doesn't work for people who feel unworthy, inadequate, and unloved. Religion didn't work for the shepherds. Religion doesn't work for us either. And the really good news is that Jesus didn't come to bring religion. He came to bring something better. The problem with religion is that it reduces Christianity to a bunch of rules, a bunch of do's and don'ts. If I do the right thing, I feel good about myself. If I don't do the wrong thing, I feel good about myself. Um, I must be a good person because I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't run around with girls who do. So I must be okay. And if you do those things, it's okay for me to look down on you because I am holier than thou. That's religion. I'm better than you because I follow rules better than you follow rules. Jesus looked at the religious leaders of his day And he said, your actions make me want to puke. He said, you're totally missing what God has in store for you. You missed the point. And here it is. Christianity was never meant to be a religion. It was meant to be a relationship with God. Jesus didn't come to form religion. He came to show us how we can have a relationship with God. That's why God sent a person. That's why God sent Jesus, his son. That's good news. And, and let me wrap this up. I got I to explain a couple of things to you. Before Paul, Paul wrote half of the New Testament. Before he was named Paul, he was named Saul. And you know what he thought of Christians before God changed his name to Paul? He hated them. He persecuted them. He killed them. He threw them in jail. And then one day, he comes face to face with the love of Jesus Christ. And it radically transforms him. And he becomes one of the most effective spokesmen for Jesus in the history of the world. Now, I want you to notice what he says about religion. This is in Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 22. We're just going to go over and over this. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. All right, keep your verses there because we're going we're gonna to pick this apart. First of all, what's the good news? It's this. You cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. 
following rules does not make God approve of you. This was such good news for the shepherds because the religious leaders of their day, they didn't have 10 commandments. They had 613 commands, laws that they said you had to follow. And if you were going to be a good Jew, you'd follow all 613 of them. The, the, the shepherds couldn't even follow the big 10 because they couldn't, they couldn't keep a Sabbath. The good news is you can't follow those Big 10 either, much less the 613, no matter how hard you try. Now look at verse 20, the first verse. It says, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what? By doing what the law commands. All right, so if, if we can't do it, why even have the law? That's number two. The law reveals our need for a savior. A savior from what? From doing wrong says this, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Now, with, without giving me Sunday school answers, all right, this, uh, everybody participate in this. How many of you would say, I'm generally a good person. I'm, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. Generally, I'm a good person. Let me, let me see your hands. All right, some of you. Some of you are worried that I'm going to waste you. I'm not going to waste you, all right? <laughs> Let's try it again. How many of you think basically you would say to somebody, well, I'm a good person. Let me see your hands. Okay. The only problem with that is when we compare ourselves to other people, we can always find somebody worse than us. We can always find somebody better than us. And scripture says the comparison isn't between me and Joe. Scripture says it's not between me and any other human being. It's between me and God, between you and God. And when we compare ourselves to God, we all fail. Are you with me? And some of you go, man, this isn't very good news. When's the good news happen? Number three, right standing with God comes by faith in Christ alone. Faith in Christ alone. You don't have to go to church, although we want you to come to church. And in fact, we would, we would question whether, whether you are really serious about God if you don't like being around the bride of Christ. If you don't like my wife, get over it. I'm not going to hang out with you if you're actively hostile to my wife. If you like my wife, that's cool. Then maybe we can hang out. Maybe not. I may not like your wife. I'm kidding. I'm just being a smart aleck. See, it's faith in Christ alone. It's not Christ plus religion. It's not Christ plus church membership. It's not Christ plus giving money. It's not Christ plus good work. It's Christ plus nothing. You must place. So to be saved, you need a savior. The good news is God sent a savior. You need a savior from your sins. And the only way to be saved is to admit that you are a sinner. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. So the last verse says, says this, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. An angel appeared to the lowest person in society, rejected by everyone, and said, a savior has been born today in the city of David. This is great news. Now, is anyone good enough to be saved on your own? No. The good news is that when you bow and you say, God, please forgive me and save me, God clothes you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the reason you get into heaven 
is not because of your righteousness. It's because God no longer sees your sin. He sees the righteousness of his perfect son. You've been clothed with that. And God says, come into my heaven. The reason some people are not going to make it into heaven is because they've not been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And what God sees is their sins. You see the difference? This is a big deal. Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay for our sins and he clothes anyone who humbles himself and prays and asks God to forgive him and lead him. He clothes them with the righteousness of Jesus and then God says, you're one of mine. You're, you're wearing the clothing of my son. You belong in the family. Come in, good and faithful servant. Now, somebody is here today specifically for what we're about to do. And from the moment you've come in, your heart's been tugging at you and you've been saying, I I know there's something going on here and it is time for you to step across the line of faith. You've had questions before, the questions have been answered. And now you're just being stubborn. Would you bow your heads for a moment? I wonder if there's anybody here who would say right now, just kind of raise your hand quickly and put it down. I do need Jesus Christ. Would you raise your hand? All right. Those of you who raised your hands, if you need forgiveness, if you need God's grace and mercy, then I'm just going to ask you to pray this prayer silently where you are. God, I know I've sinned against you. I need your forgiveness today. By faith, I give you my life and I ask you to bless my life in return. Change me Make me new. I believe you died for me and you rose again so I could live for you. Help me to do that all the days of my life. If you just prayed that and this was the first time you prayed that, would you just look at me for a moment? There's several. Wow. Those that keep looking at me if you prayed that prayer. The Bible says that when one person comes to Christ, that the angels in heaven rejoice because you've now been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. You're now, you've been born into the family of God. See, you become a creation of God by being born physically. You become a child of God by being born spiritually. And, and so the Bible says that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus Christ is the Lamb. He opens that book. When you die, you are now prepared to meet God because he's going to open that book and, and you're going to give your name and Jesus is going to say, he's one of ours. That's good news. And that may be the greatest Christmas gift you've ever received in your life. And if you're interested in being baptized, hang around afterwards and I'll talk to you just a little bit about baptism. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray that you would move powerfully in the lives of the people that are here, but God, even the folks that aren't, that there would be a ripple effect from those who entered the kingdom of God today, and they would be so excited about this good news that they would share with everybody that they care about, and that others would come into the kingdom of God through their testimony, through the blood of the lamb and the the word of their testimony. God, we look forward to worshiping you on Wednesday, but everybody, whether they're here or not, we look forward to proclaiming that a Savior has been born to us on December 25th. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.